Okay, enough about that. So uh, we're going to, if we haven't already, uh, do things a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we're going to have some audience participation. You're going to talk amongst yourselves a little bit, okay? Now, um, depending on who is near you, who you're with, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, you can talk with somebody beside you. However, if you're here by yourself or you don't want to, there are questions that you can still contemplate, all right? And we're going to do this a couple of times uh, this morning, so be prepared for this. So our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 2, and my main focus is going to be on verses 13 to 17. We're going to see the first part of chapter 2 as well. Um, but again, doing things differently this morning, we're going to begin at the end. And so we're going to start for a moment with verse 17, and we're going to talk about it. So verse 17 on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hmm. So, you're going to talk amongst yourselves or contemplate quietly. What does Jesus mean in this verse? So, you can turn to somebody beside you if you are willing, and you can each take one minute to answer the question. For those online, same thing. You can, if you've got somebody with you, you can each take a minute to share, or you've got a couple of minutes to contemplate the question yourself. What does Jesus mean in this verse? Go. So, okay, so hold those thoughts. Uh, we're actually going to come back uh, to this later. So now we're going to go back to the beginning uh, and start over properly. So uh, as Elaine reminded us, this is the second sermon in our series on the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second book of the New Testament and deals specifically with the ministry years of Jesus. If you start in Matthew, you get some of the genealogy and the beginnings and whatnot. But uh, with Mark, we go right into the ministry years. Ken opened the series last week focusing on the first 15 verses of chapter 1. We learned that John the baptizer started preparing people for the coming Messiah, Jesus. We also learned that the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit makes clear that Jesus is the Messiah by descending on Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. I remind you of this because it is important to understand that in just a few verses of chapter 1... Mark has already established that Jesus is the expected Messiah of the nation of Israel. My focus this morning will be on chapter 2, but I want to give you a quick summary of the rest of chapter 1 as it gives us a few more clues to the person and ministry of Jesus, which is what the series is all about. So, in the remainder of chapter 1, and you're going to get it in point form, Jesus starts calling his disciples, a couple of fishermen, he goes to the synagogue, he goes to church without an invitation and starts teaching. So imagine if somebody just wandered in, came up here, started teaching. Jesus drives out evil spirits, he heals people, he gets up really early to pray, and Jesus consistently tells the people that are healed not to say anything. Despite that, word gets out. And people are coming from everywhere to see him. So let's dive into uh, chapter 2. And as I mentioned, our main passage 
is verses 13 to 17, but Marnie's going to read verses 1 to 12 and give us the first story of chapter 2. Come on up. We're not going to have the words on the screen because I want you to close your eyes or uh, just put yourself into the scene of the story and imagine that you're there. Marty. If you want to close your eyes to help yourself imagine, um, I would invite you to do that if you would be comfortable. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So this first story in chapter 2 is about Jesus healing a paralyzed man by forgiving his sins. Note that Jesus initially did not say, you are healed. He tells the man his sins are forgiven. This is unusual. This is also where we first encounter uh, the Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, and we'll learn more about them in, in just a minute. But to give you a hint, if uh, you remember, if you were here last week or online, you remember Star Wars, Ken's Star Wars poster talking about the characters in the drama, I would suggest these Pharisees, teachers of the law, could be represented, where'd it go? Okay, they'd be represented by, by Darth Vader. That's a hint kind of characters we're dealing with. So, Mark tells us in the story that the teachers of the law were sitting there. Why were they there? What, what were they doing? We'll come back to that. Laying out this trail of crumbs. Let's take a look at the second story in chapter 2 from verses 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A, loud crowd came, a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. 
When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, quick sidebar. Levi in this story is actually Matthew one of the 12 disciples and the author of the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus is continuing one of the parts of the story from chapter 1, calling together his followers. But in this case, unlike the first guys that were fishermen, now he's calling an obvious sinner, somebody with a really bad reputation in the community. Let's put ourselves into uh, this story. We're at Matthew's house, Levi's house, and Jesus is there, and obviously the disciples and the Pharisees, as well as a whole bunch of other sinners and a lot of people. So this could be a big house, or possibly everyone is in a courtyard. But think about the dynamic here. Mark tells us that Jesus is sitting with the disciples, but when the Pharisees ask their question, they ask it of the disciples. So Are they around a big table? Are they mingling? Does the timeline change and people have moved around? In the first story, Jesus knew what they were thinking, even though he couldn't hear them, is what we're told. And in this story, he did hear them talking. So just, you know, kind of try to imagine what might have been happening there. So what, though, is going on in the bigger picture. We have a few stories about Jesus, but we can see already that he's causing trouble. Not necessarily intentionally, but by what he's doing, he's creating trouble. So who are these Pharisees that are so upset with him, and why are they following Jesus? Why are these asking these questions? Like us in our series, the Pharisees were asking, Who is Jesus and how do we respond to him? So the Pharisees were the religious and cultural leaders of the Jewish people. They were focused on keeping all 600 plus laws. Yes, laws, commandments, this kind of thing. There were over 600. And they wanted to not only make sure others did the same, but they also really wanted to make sure that everybody saw them keeping all of these laws. Their concerns were power, authority, position, status. Now, like any group of people, of course, there were good guys and bad guys. There were teachers of the law who were generally trying to follow God. Generally, though, the term Pharisee has come to describe a group of men, yes, it was just men, that were rigid, petty, greedy, and a lot of other bad things. Women, would you want to be a part of that group? Anyway. Uh, Even worse, these guys believed that God's grace only extended to those who kept all 600 plus laws. So they didn't understand the kingdom of God in the slightest. And these Pharisees would have expected the Messiah to be a political or military figure who came to defeat the dark side. Uh, Sorry, I mean the Roman Empire. And restore the nation of Israel to its rightful place. And who would lead this mighty nation? Hmm, the Pharisees. 
So what we have here is a classic case of those in power wanting to keep their authority, and therefore they would attack anyone who threatened that position. This really had nothing to do with the kingdom of God, as the Pharisees would have claimed. So what we discover is the Pharisees saw Jesus as a challenge to their status and position. And Jesus wasn't like them at all. He is ignoring the laws. He's ignoring the teachers of the law. And probably worst of all, he's hanging out with tax collectors and other sorts of awful people. All right, let's change gears and look at the story in a different way. Let's reset this story to Vancouver in 2022. We're going to do a little groupthink exercise. We're going to talk amongst ourselves again. And we're going to work together to answer three questions. And the questions are on the screen. And they are, if Jesus were to come to Vancouver today, where would he go and who would he hang out with? Second question, who would be the Pharisees? And then the third question, where would the average ECCer or church-going Christian, where would they fit into this story? So uh, pair up or group up again, same thing with people online, uh, and we'll take a few minutes, and then we'll have a very quick sharing time at the end. Uh, I'm going to jump on my iPad, not to play Candy Crush, uh, but uh, I'm going to monitor the discussion online. So people online, if you have responses you want to share, put them in the chat, and uh, I'll share them as we do some sharing in a few minutes. So take a few minutes, talk about or contemplate these three questions, Vancouver or Richmond 2022. What would it look like? Go. Not bad, not bad. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's take a couple of minutes to answer some of these questions, including the first one. Who are the sick? What, is, what does Jesus mean in uh, verse 17? And I think we should start with the newcomer this morning. We should hear from Elias first. Okay, we'll come back to him. Uh, so share some of your thoughts. To get us started, uh, one of the responses online was, uh, where would Jesus go? Downtown East Side. I think that's an obvious one. That was one of the, that was one of the first ones, if not the first one that I thought of. So where else would we see Jesus today? Yeah. Yeah, some of the mega rich. Yep. For sure. Yep. Okay. Karen. Ah, hospital. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Ah, the parks. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay. Nursing homes, for sure. Oof, Jesus is going to be busy. Nurseries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Yeah. Grace said, my home. And uh, a couple of responses online were churches. So, who would be the Pharisees in our current construction, in our current day? Any white Christian male? Yeah. And uh, being in that category myself, um, I've had many conversations where I've had to not 
say that I'm the problem, although I jokingly do, but I have to recognize that I am an, an incredibly, incredibly privileged person just by being a white male. Yeah. Uh, so Dwight sharing, uh, sorry, the gentleman in the front row uh, is sharing that uh, uh, it's, it's all of us, that we all have that judgmental attitude of who's in and who's out. And this is one of the things that is true in our society today. Yes, in this place and time, I represent the position, the person of privilege, but in every society around the world right now, every group has the in and the out, the people that they think are okay, and then it's others. So it, it's, it is just part of the human condition. So, yeah, we're all Pharisees. But uh, in our story and in how Jesus is telling it, yeah, it would be the, uh, the mega rich. Uh, when, uh, for those who don't know, we often do a, a, a practice run of the uh, sermon. And uh, uh, Ken, our pastor, said, uh, and accurately he said, well, it wouldn't actually be me, Ken, pastor of this church. It would probably be like denominational leaders. It would be people higher up. Now, ECC is not part of a denomination, but in the represented today, I'm not so sure it would be pastors as it maybe would be people a, higher, a little higher up. So anyway, any other thoughts on who we might see as Pharisees, Valerie? Ah, okay. It's our heart. That's what determines. Yep. Okay. Um, let me see. I think there was one other comment. Yeah. Uh, as I said, churchgoers. Okay. And then the average ECC or the average church person. Where do we fit into the story? All three characters. Yep. Yep. Sinner, Pharisee, and uh, uh, disciple. What about the crowd? Because we know there is those three, but there was also a large crowd. I think that's where a lot of us would probably be. Who is this guy? What's going on? There's not a lot of talk in, in Scripture about the crowd itself, but they were definitely there, and they were curious. And I think that's quite likely where a lot of us uh, would find ourselves, or, or maybe that's a group that, uh, that certainly represent us. So, And then one comment also, the last one, from here, is, as we've kind of said, it would be a jigsaw puzzle. So, so let's, start to, let's start to wrap up. A few more minutes. What can we learn from this second chapter of Mark? And so let's go back to the start. Who are the sick? Who are the ones today that need a doctor? And this is one of the questions. This is one of the things we need to take away from here this morning is for you to think about who in your life is the sick. And yes, it's all of us. But there's a more specific element to this. The common trait in this story and in the stories of Jesus is a common trait is the sick were attracted to Jesus. 
they were aware of their sickness. Whether it was physical, mental, or spiritual, they knew that their lives were screwed up. They were drawn to Jesus because they knew they were sick and they wanted to be healed. Jesus, at least a lot of what we get in Scripture, was focused on the people who were aware of their sin, their sickness, their needs. And really, Jesus had no time for the self-righteous, those who had that attitude of spiritual superiority. Most of the stories of Jesus focus on him healing people with specific ailments. But as I just mentioned, what about the crowd that was always there? Were they healed? Did they understand who Jesus was and what he was doing? What does this mean for us? And this morning, I'm really tackling that second question first. Generally, we are called to serve those that we encounter on our journey. But more specifically, I think this passage tells us that we're called to pay attention to those who are aware of their needs, to those who want to be healthy. Our role isn't to tell people that they're sick. We need to figure out who, in the various aspects of our lives, are aware of their needs, who know they're sick, and who know they need help. I think this is the key to understanding verse 17. We're called to serve those who know they are sick and in need of help. Yes, we serve everybody on our journey, but we should be watching out for those who are like, I know I need something. One of the big questions of the sermon series is how do we respond to Jesus? We respond by serving those we meet on our journey and especially looking for those who are aware of their needs. The other big question of our series is who is Jesus? So our other takeaway from this chapter is on the character of Jesus. This is the perfect son of God who could go into the temple and speak with all authority. And yet, he was humble. In stark contrast to the Pharisees, Jesus didn't want fame or glory. So even though, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been healed of your sin and can look forward to everlasting life in heaven... That doesn't give us any spiritual superiority. Rather, out of gratitude, we are called to live a life of humility. From this chapter, we need to remember that we can't do anything to earn God's love and mercy. It's a free gift. So how can we feel superior to something we got as a free gift? So I want to challenge us to be on the lookout for our own spiritual superiority. And since that's difficult, for me, I think one of the keys to life is to have people around you who will be honest with you. You can ask a question and get an honest answer. Do you have that? If you don't, I encourage you to, to seek that out. But make sure the people answering the question do it with humility too. I saw a great example, to, uh, just to finish up this morning, I saw a great example of humility at a concert many years ago. Valerie and I, this was before we were dating, uh, went to see a guy named Rich Mullins. And although I knew his music, I actually didn't know much about Rich Mullins himself. 
So we're uh, waiting for the concert to start, and this guy <clears throat> in jeans and T-shirt walks onto the stage. He goes, to <clears throat> he goes to one instrument and fiddles a little, and then goes to the piano and just starts to riff on the piano. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? Why is a roadie on stage testing the gear as the concert's about to begin? Well, then this guy starts singing, and I grasp the obvious. This is Rich Mullins. He didn't need a big announcement. He didn't need the DJ, and now. And he didn't need thunder and lightning and a light show to bring him on stage. He was a humble servant of God, and he just wandered out and started singing. Jesus is a humble teacher with ultimate authority. And we are called to be humble because everything we have comes from God in the first place. We haven't done anything to earn this. So we are called to be humble. And we respond to Jesus by looking and we serve the people on our journey, but we look for those who are aware of their sickness and are looking to be made well. And we direct them to Jesus. So from Mark chapter 2 this morning, our call is to be humble and to serve the least of these on our journey. Let's pray.